0: We have an exciting partnership to announce before we get into today's Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt has been asked to join Reads Across America Radio, a 24-7 internet radio station where you can listen to veteran stories 24-7. You can find that on the iHeartRadio app. You can also find it on their website, readsacrossamerica.com. Or, the Scuttlebutt will be featured Friday nights at 9 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you don't know anything about Reads Across America, they're an incredible organization, all dedicated to honoring veterans uh, and, and those who uh, gave all in service to our country. Check out The Scuttlebutt on their radio station and all the other programs that they have on their 24-7 radio station, again, on iHeartRadio app or ReadsAcrossAmerica.org. Joining me today on the Scuttlebutt is Ahmed Burst. Ahmed, it's awesome to have you a part of this. Uh, you reached out to us, said, hey, I'd love to jump on your podcast. Uh, you know, it's exciting to have you here. Please introduce yourself. Thank you, and welcome welcome to the program. Well, my
1: name is Ahmed Burst. Uh, I'm the owner of Burst Creative Consulting, and what I do is I'm a career coach for civil engineers. Uh, I spent 23 years in the military as an infantryman. So my background was uh, as a United States Army Drill Sergeant. I was a member of the 3rd United States Infantry the Old Guard Ceremonial Detachment. Uh, and uh, i also was in Desert Storm, uh, um, a member of the coalition that supported, uh, that, that tried to assist the Bos- during Bosnia, as well as uh, this recent um, stint in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so after retiring from the military, I taught for a little stint and then I found my passion as a coach for civil engineers.
0: Awesome. And you had 23 years in the army starting in 1989, is that correct? Yes. Why did you decide to enlist?
1: To be quite honest with you, well, my family, my mother was in the military, my father was in the military uh, at for me, it was one of those, hey, listen, you serve your country. doesn't matter how you serve as long as you're, you know, you're contributing. So then me being exposed to the Army at an early age just made me say, okay, all right, this is something that I wanted to do. So at 16 and a half, <laughs> this is really interesting, and I had a conversation with my mom about it. When I was in 11th grade about to go to 12th grade, I, they had a delayed entry program I enlisted in the, into the Army. So then after I graduated at 17, two months later, I was in basic training. So, uh, and I wanted to see the world. I didn't have the financial resources to see the world, but at the time, the army uh, slogan was be all you can be. Mm-hmm. And I wore that out. I did everything I could while I was in the military. So I hope that kind of gives you a background
2: on military.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So you're, you're, I mean, I'm, it's most people that come on the program usually come from a military family and most of the time it's their father their uncle their grandfather but having your mother serve boy did she have any advice for you going into the military what what was her experience like
1: this is interesting so then when my mother joined the military and i want to say it was in the 60s late 60s they had the the military was segregated um, in regards to men and women Uh, so then they had a program for women called the Women's Army Corps. Uh, the Navy had similar programs along with the Air Force. So when she joined, there weren't any uh, women, or there, you know, it was the Women's Army Corps, so it was all basic training for women, uh, and you know everything was separate. And then whenever she uh, got to a permanent party, then they began to integrate uh, the services somewhat. But at that time, the only opportunities available for women were things such as. Um, metal medical or in the food service and those and you know those were the careers choices and and they were kind of limited in regards to uh, any kind of advice my mom gave me it it was just to take advantage um take advantage of what was available Uh, sometimes people can be in a situation and and they'll just view it so negatively and they won't realize the value of what they actually have Mm. so i think that's that's kind of stuck with me and it kind of allowed me to to deal with things, to process things, and to be successful in situations that may not have been as successful for others.
0: And why did she decide to enlist? That was a, I mean, that was roughly, you know, Vietnam era.
1: Yes. Well, at the time, um, African-American woman uh, coming from, she lived in Pittsburgh. She wanted, she had ideas of wanting to see something different herself. And that was the reason why she uh, enlisted. She, you know, she wanted to see the world. She wanted to see what what, what was out there outside of her, you know, her confines. Um, and she was my mother was from a single parent. Well, not a single parent home. Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother had got divorced. Uh, I want to say like around the time my mother was uh, either in middle school or something like that. And that impacted uh, uh, that impacted the family's resources. So then, you know, she had seen uh, poverty, uh, up close. And that's not what she wanted for herself.
0: Was the military what you expected? Did your parents kind of prep you for that? Like you got into the, you know, basic and was like, Oh, this is easy.
1: <laughs> I, I would say everyone has different expect, expectations. The military is what you expect of it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's my opinion. It's a so then, during that time, I, and and this is a conversation I had with my mother. Her birthday was on Memorial Day, so then we had spent time. And before I went to the military, I watched Platoon, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, there's a couple other military movies that I watched to kind of mentally prepare myself to go into the military. Yeah, and um, it it was it was everything I want. I think it was everything that I needed, and. What I wanted, I made out of. So if it wasn't something that I wanted, then I made something out of it. But it was a, for me, it was a wonderful experience. You have some people to come, oh man, it's this. And you know, I didn't get to do that. And I I wasted, I remember it was like yesterday, it's like I, it's my first duty assignment. I was in Washington State at Fort Lewis. And there was someone who was PCS in there, leaving the military. And the guy's like, man, I wasted four years of my life. I can't believe it's like, wow, really? It's like you've you've been here four years and that's about all you can say. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm an easygoing person. They feed you, they pay you, they give you a place to stay. I mean, hey, what what, what more could you ask?
0: Yeah, and they train you. They <laughs> and they, and and the they train and,
1: and they train you and they train. Yeah. You. So you know that's that was my thought process in it.
0: Now you joined '89. Was that sort of a peace year? This is right before Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Um, was, was there anything going on when you first got in?
1: Um, eighty nine was a sort of a peace year, but I believe three or four years before that was Grenada, and uh-huh. there was a, a lot of Grenada Raiders still around. <laughs> it's a different army. Uh, a lot of those folks, you know, not a lot of them, but a lot of them had experiences from Vietnam. So then, it, and then shortly after, it was Panama. Like I want to say, two or three years after that, um, uh, that's when Panama kicked off and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, I ran into a lot of people that's like, hey, yeah, I was at Panama. It's like, well, what happened? It's like, well, you know, the 82nd jumped in, Rangers jumped in and did this, that, and the other. So, uh, yeah, but 89 was about a, it was a peace year, you could say.
0: Whenever Desert Storm Desert Show kicked off, what was your role in it?
1: I, <laughs> I was a infantryman. So then it, it was, it's just like funny how life works. So then I was at Fort Lewis, I was at third 3rd Battalion 47th Infantry Regiment, 347 Infantry. I was an alpha company. So then uh when Desert Storm kicked off, not all brigades and divisions, you know, left. Mm-hmm. Uh 82nd, you know, 25th, there's a lot of different um major organizations that went to Desert Storm. However, they needed people to fill spots, like they needed folks to be like door gunners, they needed folks to uh, you know, just for a lot of different things. So then out of our company, two platoons left. And I was one of the two platoon, or we I was in one of the two platoons. We went over there and we pulled uh support and we pulled support and escort for I think it was 25288. So your air defense artillery, the guys, or not guys, but you know, the folks that are shooting stuff out of the sky, they needed support. So they were moving. Um, they're knocking out scuds and they're going up and down through Iraq. So uh uh, they didn't have any support, infantry support, you know, to do security, um, just all those sorts of things. So that that was my role when I was in Desert Storm.
0: What did you, I guess this was a, your first experience with with war, with conflict. Uh, was that what you expected it to be? Military, you know, you came from the military family, you got in there, probably not too much of a culture shock. I'm sure touching touching ground in Kuwait might have been a little bit different
1: uh yeah well no, and don't forget you know this is so then Kuwait the Kuwait is not the Kuwait that it is now mm-hmm. so then this is the first because uh in um I can't remember the full details but the deal was um you know Iraq goes into is it Saudi Kuwait or Saudi Arabia I can't remember Kuwait I think they say we want your oil right and so then it's like okay all right so then Kuwait um, ask for help, and then of course you know the ultimate defenders of the world come and, and they arrive. So, uh, they were just not experimenting, but they're building things. They're figuring out, you know, how is this warfare going to work? Mm-hmm. So, then, um, it it wasn't what I expected. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I think I was scared. I remember I cried with my mom on the phone. <laughs> I was like, Mom, I'm going to um, you know. I'm going overseas and then she's like okay and you know I, and I think to, to her I told her I was like you know I don't want someone have to to have to take my spot you know because at the time at the time if you were only child this is crazy right if you were only child or if you weren't if you didn't have any brothers and sisters they would you could put in a request to stay back yeah and they would um, right. and it's just kind of now does that happen now I don't know if it still happens now but in any instance that's that's what they had said and was like I told my mom I was like no nah, I'm not going to do that um this mm-hmm. is so I signed up for so I'm going to go <laughs> and it was um it was interesting I mean once but once you got on ground you're a little bit more comfortable there's stuff you know you hear in the scud alarms and all sorts of craziness going on so
0: yeah. and it, it lasted as we know it lasted what like eight days it was very quick
1: um of the initial war but then there's cleanup and all sorts of
0: other stuff so yeah Yeah. and you know when how long after that was bosnia
1: uh let me see that was 92 and then bosnia was in 96 (laughs) and then uh bosnia yeah bosnia it's funny how how we did things because prior to like when i went to desert storm and then i went to bosnia what they did was you got boots on the ground and they ran you through like lanes to prep you for what we, we, you're gonna do. So like you got boots on the ground. So you know, they, you know, we figured out, you know, how you dig in, in case of this, you know, QRF or, quick or drills, whatever, all those things we did in country. That's mm-hmm. in, in um, Desert Storm and then in Bosnia, we did in country. When we went to Iraq and Afghanistan, we weren't doing all those things prior to like, it was like uh, you, you went to excuse me, JRTC, the joint readiness training center in Louisville, in Louisville, in uh, Louisiana, mm-hmm. or you went to NTC, the National training center. And whatever your mission was, you were preparing there in those sites. So basically whenever you got on the ground, uh, they did, you know, relief in place. You, you actually, whenever you were changing out, you come in, You shake hands with and do a left seat, right seat ride with whoever, and then they take off, and you just kind of cover down on what they're doing. As opposed to in the past, you get in the country, and then you know they start showing you how to do A, B, C, and D.
0: How was how was Bosnia different for you than Desert Storm?
1: (laughs) Bosnia was different for me. Bosnia was different because Desert Storm, of course, was a desert. Bosnia was a European. I would say I seen more death in Bosnia than I did in Desert Storm, and the only reason the Serbs and the Croats, them folks, they were very—I mean, like it was uh, fields of people that had been killed, and then they chopped them up and put them in the ground. It was—it was—it was just the the amount, just the the ruthlessness. Um, and understanding like why there needed to be an intervention there, because mm-hmm. these folks, and then when you look at it, a, a lot of it is from World War Two, World War One. A lot of these things, and these folks never forgot, and uh, they very much were waiting for something to happen, a tipping point, so that they could just exact revenge. So that's what I'll say in in, Bo- in in um in Bosnia, and and we I think it was more of a. Because we were there longer, we were just doing a lot more engaging with the population. Um, just doing a whole lot. Uh, we were doing more patrols there. Um, we did joint patrols with the Russians. I mean, we were just doing a lot of different things. And that was one of the things, you know, there's a lot of people have a lot of stories to tell about the military. And they'll tell you stories that never made the headlines. It's like we were one of the first organizations at the time, I was with Echo 51st LURSE. We were one of the first organizations to do joint patrols with the Russians,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know the Russians. I met where America is like, "Hey, how you doing?" The Russians were like, "We don't care." Um, we th- <laughs> like, I remember we were in a convoy, and there's a they had a BTR-60. It's like a a Russian transport vehicle, and it was ahead, and we were going down the road, and the BTR-60 was just forcing people off the road. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Hey." Get out of the way. And you know, whereas Americans we pull over and stop. Nah uh-uh. So it was it was a culture shock. It was an opportunity to meet different people. Um, it was definitely um that's that's my biggest. Uh, and then plus I was a leader during that time when I was a when I went to Desert Storm, I was a specialist. No, mm-hmm. did I make I as a no as an E3, then I made a specialist, but I was a saw gunner, a squad mm-hmm. office, you know. And then whenever I got to uh to um bosnia as a team leader so it's it's a it was is a different role and whenever you're in charge of folks as opposed to just um doing
0: things would you say that you embraced that role as as or did you sort of have to develop into that leadership oh role? you have to you
1: have to develop into a leadership i mean because a lot of times you're just expected to know but and, that, and that's one of the reasons why i became a, a a career coach for civil engineers number one civil engineers you know, these folks are building things with their hands. They're, they're the they're the ones, you know, when you look at roads and you look at buildings, they're not to say that all engineers don't have a role, but they, these folks are, are where the rubber meets the road. And, you know, you may be technically savvy, but you may not have those skills to kind of motivate people to move to the next step. And so I had to develop those skills as a leader. Um, in Bosnia, I had some lessons, some tough lessons learned. I made a bunch of mistakes, um, by the grace of God, no one got killed, no one got injured, but it's just the things that I was dealing with. Uh, it just, you know, I had leaders that kind of like, hey, listen, you need, to, you need to figure this out here. So,
0: mm-hmm. Can you define for me sort of one of the lessons that you had to learn, one of the mistakes you made while you were there?
1: I would say one of the lessons I got from Bosnia was um, your duty if you're supposed to do something, go ahead and do it. Uh, uh, And and, and, and the incident that occurred was, I was supposed to check a vehicle. No, the vehicle got checked, but I was supposed to come back and and read Like there was a, a, you know, lines, like uh, the vehicle goes to get inspected, does this, then after that, the next person, and then as the leader, I'm inspecting to make sure everything was done. Well, when it came from the shop, I was under the impression everything was good to go. And everything was good to go mechanically, But it's the operator's responsibility to make sure that fluids are topped off and this, that, and the other. So we're on a patrol and we have to pull over because the check engine light's coming on because there wasn't enough oil in the vehicle Mm. because I failed to check. It was my fault. So then, you know, it was was surreal because it's like, man, you know, you have to take your job seriously. And if it's your duty to do something, you got to have enough integrity to go ahead and do it. And don't you know, blow it off because at the time I was like, oh yeah, we're, we're good because there's a, when you do things so often, you kind of get complacent. And at that point I was complacent and that's mm-hmm. dangerous because you can take, you know, you can cause someone in their life by your complacency, by you not doing what you're supposed to. So, um, a, a lot of things occurred. I mean, did I get in trouble, trouble? No. Um, however, it was like, I was looked at differently in the organization, mm-hmm. you know, you know like a dirt bag like hey he's supposed to do that and he didn't do it it's like oh, man that dude um uh, and it's like and then what i say it's it's eye-opening it's eye-opening and it's sobering so you know those are some of the lessons learned but you know you got to learn those lessons and if i didn't learn those lessons i wouldn't be here right now i, I would say that bad experience that i created benefited me because i'm the one who makes sure that all the dots are You know, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed because of that experience. Now, do I got to share that with everyone? No. But people who know me and who have worked with me know he's not the one. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He If there's something wrong, I'm going to find it. And not because I want to find it, because it's the right thing to do. So that's how I look at things like that.
0: So you spent some time in Bosnia working with the Army Corps of Engineers.
1: No.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, well, hold oh, yeah, on. I want to clarify that because this comes into play later in our conversation.
1: Well, uh, no, because Bosnia had the. Um, <laughs> no, because Bosnia, where the the engineers, the Army Corps was probably there. But remember, during Bosnia, that's when you had. Uh, it wasn't before it was KBR. It was Halliburton and you know all of the cooking. Um, basic Yes. Yeah. HVAC basic, basic inf- infrastructure stuff was handled by that contractor. So the army who had actual engineers, they weren't doing it And the army corps of engineers. They weren't really active in that's not, that wasn't their role at that time. Mm, okay. So, then, uh, No, I didn't start working, actually working with the corps of engineers until after I retired. And then I went to the civilian side.
0: All right. So we'll get to that. We have some stuff to cover before then. Mm. So between Bosnia and the war on terror, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, that's a significant amount of time, five, six years. Yeah. Um, but during that time, 9-11 happens. And where were you at, I guess, at 9-11? Um, but mainly the, the, the deeper question is, is how did the army change for you huh. right after that?
1: Man, thank you for that question. You know, the, you know uh, people... It's funny. And, and when I talk to people that are around my age or younger, you know, you can ask them what exactly happened on 9-11. You know, where were you at? And people, it's like it's like something that brings folks together because you can talk about specifically where you were at, what you were doing when you seen the second plane hit the tower because the first one hit it and everybody's like, oh, what's going on? And then that next one flies around. I was like, oh. So then I was a United States Army drill sergeant and I was trained in private. And uh, my uh, senior, my boss, the first one calls me and says, Hey, Burst, check this out. And I'm like, What? And it's like, We've seen everything change. It was like, Wow. So then after the towers went down, and then, you know, excuse the French, all hell broke loose across the military because I was at Fort Benning. And at that time, Benning, you know, you had open posts. So anyone could come on the post. Immediately shut down. Uh, Immediately, you know, they put security in. As a matter of fact, you know, in the reaction, we had privates that were on the gate. So if you can imagine, so soldiers that have never really been fired a weapon, um, they're pulling gate guard (laughs) because we had to have some kind of reaction force. Uh, And so uh, it was just, and then you know, hey, you have to have your ID card all the time. So that's what happened. And I watched. You know, we had we were motivating the soldiers differently. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, uh, who ha? Huh, we are going to kill Ben Laden? Who ha? Huh, we going to kill? And that's and those were some of the cadence mm-hmm. that we were coming up because it's like, hey, Ben Laden's. It's like, and so the war, whole war on terrorism, it just changed our focus. As you know, uh, and, and 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 me and a couple of my drill sergeant buddies, we always we trained our soldiers. Let me preface it by saying this. At the time, not everyone had been to combat, let alone two or three times. So uh, a lot of drill sergeants, a lot of folks didn't have that, those eyes. They didn't have that foresight. So whenever we were training soldiers, we made sure, we told them, like, listen, it's like, don't think you're not going to go to war. Anything can happen. And you can be in war. And they're like, oh, no. And, and I tell, I remember there's two units. Two units I was a member of. One of them was um 347 infantry. No, one of them was the third United States Infantry. And I forgot the other unit I was in, but I told them, I'm like, listen, uh y'all gonna go to war one day. Oh no, they'll never send us. Show sure enough, they needed bodies, o- they needed bodies over in Afghanistan and Iraq because they are burning out the regular troops. It's like, oh yeah. So it just, I always train my folks to be ready. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I made that made sure I put that into them to be prepared. So then it just kind of gave validation to what I was saying in regards to ensuring that we're preparing soldiers to be able to go overseas and do what they got to do and come back alive. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of you know nine eleven kicking off it just kind of ramped things up. But I would not have trained the soldiers any differently because I, I knew hey listen I'm 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 coming from a combat. I'm a combat vet at this point, so I'm seeing, yes.
0: So uh, the the lesson that you learned in Bosnia, mm-hmm. it seemed to have not followed you too far, in a sense, um, because you were, you went into drill instructor. And why did you decide to do that? Did that did well, that incident uh, with the oil? Did that follow you at all?
1: No, the incident, and it, it's just funny. <laughs> it's funny how things are. It's uh, it's just real funny how life is. So then the the oil incident, it. But once, you know, the, the army is very small and especially when you get into your military occupational specialties, your MOSs, like you'll, you'll run into people. Like i you know, province, I went to basic training with seven, eight years. I'm running into them and you, you run into into people and to some degree, your, your reputation can follow you, but I was a good dude. Um, People knew that straight. So. Uh, You know, as opposed to someone that's constantly making mistakes, like, hey, that person's a dirtbag. If you make a mistake, it's like, dude, he messed up. Mm -hmm. And any leader that's a leader knows people just make mistakes. You know, sometimes they drop the ball and you have to be able to give that opportunity. And I think that's one of the things that made me a better leader because I gave folks the opportunity to fail. It's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to tell me how you're not going to do this again. It's not "You're, you're sorry, you shouldn't have done this. That wasn't my conversation. My conversation was, you're going to tell me how you're not going to do this again. You're going to prevent it from it happening to someone else. That's my conversation because what's done is done. I really, I'm not going to worry about it. But as long as it's not life limb, um, then you're going to learn from it. But I want you to learn from it. I want you to grow from this. I don't want you to use this as a benchmark of this is where my career ended. You, you understand
0: what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. So then, um, so, why go to be a drill instructor? That's okay. So, I,
1: I apologize. So, <laughs> I, I was at. Uh, in all honesty, you 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 know when it's time for you to do something, you have to separate yourself from other people, and uh, the the major ways to separate yourself is you can either become a drill sergeant or become a recruiter. Um, when I was at Fort Belvoir or Fort Myers, when I was with the Third United States entry, my neighbor at the time was a recruiter. And and he looked like hell, like regularly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I said, nah. And, you know, one of the things that had stuck in my mind, like people can't remember, like at least soldiers. I'm not sure about even I think the Marines, but soldiers especially, they may not be remember, able to remember, you know, who their first sergeant was, their first first sergeant, who their first squad leader is. But they remember their drill sergeants. Mm-hmm. And that's like, and that's the kind of impact I wanted to have with people. Like I wanted them not as a negative, but as someone to say, hey, listen, that was a standard bearer. If that dude said something, if if he gave me information, he wouldn't. Um, he's trustworthy, he's a person of honor, of integrity. That's that's what I wanted. So.
0: it's interesting you say that. I, I've had a recent guest uh come on to a a vbc event uh through our veterans history project uh we we interviewed him for our magazine and i he said that he was kind of a troublemaker in high school didn't quite have a a goal or a a direction 9-11 happens he says i want to serve he joins the marine corps and as soon as he met his uh well they're not called drilled instructors in the marine corps
1: yeah they're, 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 they're marines are drill instructors armies are drill sergeants
0: Okay. So drill, yeah. In the Marine Corps, he you know, meets his drill instructor and he says, that's, that's who I want to be. That's, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, exactly speaking to what you're you're saying is like those kids come in and the guys that are looking for that sort of mentorship, mm-hmm. they can look at you and say, this guy has it together. Well, this guy has drive.
1: You, you know, I, I look at things in a, in a larger scope. Mm-hmm. And when I left, When I left the military, I talked. There's just a I was able to connect the dots. My point being is what I seen as a drill sergeant was a lot of soldiers whom were being raised by their grandparents. A lot of soldiers whom did not have strong male figures, strong adult figures. Um, hey private, where's your mom at? Or hey private, where's your dad at? He's dead. Where's your mom at? She's in jail. You know, this is these are the folks that were coming in and there's nothing wrong, but it just, it, you have to be able to look at society. You have to see well, where are these folks coming from? How can you assist them? Not all privates need the same thing, but that structure in that, hey, listen, I'm not here to run no game on you. I want you to be successful, not just in the military, but in life. Yeah. So you need to get to shutting up and doing what I'm telling you to do. And that's kind of the way, that was the way I presented myself. They knew it, you know, the other leaders knew it.
0: And people got along. <laughs> Excuse me. How do you how do you learn to? I mean, you say you went through to become a leader. Like, what what would you say is like the 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 biggest thing that helps you to to get to that point where you can say like, I'm gonna shape this these soldiers. I'm you know I'm gonna take this responsibility and bear that that cross.
1: I I don't think for me there was a there's a saying on the trail. Well, for drill sergeants in the army, it's called the trail. When you're on, I have no idea why it's called the trail, but you tell them you're on the trail. Everybody knows like, Oh, he's a drill sergeant. But the point being is either the you wear the hat or the hat wears you. So then folks that wear the hat, it's a hat. All it is, it's a hat. It's nothing. If I take the hat off, I'm still going to be that same leader. I'm still going to be that same example setter. I'm still going to be that person that's going to hold you accountable. I'm still going to be that person of integrity. Whereas you got folks where the hat wore them, and it went straight to their head. You know, they're you know they're, they're doing things that you look at them like, dude, what are you doing that for? You know, we're here to train these. That they, you know, just questionable, questionable integrity type things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, decision making. is like you've never led soldiers before. So yeah. then for me, mm-hmm. um, I've led. I, like, like I said, I've I've led folks outside of being a drill sergeant. I've developed. Yeah soldiers outside of that mm-hmm. you know I coached outside of that and that's the experience and you know it made me very comfortable with if i'm telling a soldier like one of the things i would do is like listen whenever you report to your duty station you make sure you're at this time shine your shoe shine, shine your boots make sure you have a pair of starch bdus because uh you know you can't change the first impression. So then you want to make sure that you give the best impression. And that's something that I would tell anyone. So it's like little things that, 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 I've learned that, Hey, as a leader, if I see a soldier that comes into the organization and they look rag bag, rag, they used to call it rag bag. If you look like a rag bag. Well, you can have the best PT score in the world, be the most intelligent, but you're presenting yourself as someone who that doesn't personify.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: you're going to get the business when you first get there oh you're going to get the and you're probably going to have some difficult times and it's really hard to change people's perspective of you if that's the first time that they've mm-hmm. met you. so then you take that philosophy and you uh move it into the civilian world if i'm meeting you for the first time um we're kind of informally here but i'm going to have a tie on i'll be mm-hmm. I won't be cleanly shaven because i like my beard but i'll be manicured i'll I'll look it's like okay this person you can tell that, you know, they're they're coming with um, professionalism, mm-hmm. and I understand that they're going to be serious about whatever it is that I do with them. So then, you know, that's so. I think the answer to questions like I was prepared, not really prepared, but I'd already led folks, so I was comfortable, and I knew what could and work. With I knew some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't work. So I came with tools.
0: Is there a particular soldier that, you know, we have to say their name, but uh, someone that stands out to you in your memory of like, you really connected with this, this kid and like, you really felt like there was a, you know, you, you helped them find purpose in their life.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, you're not supposed to put your hands on soldiers. That's the bottom line. (laughs) When I was there, you're not supposed to put your hands on soldiers. It's just, uh, but um
0: it's a great way to start a story
1: (laughs) so uh and then i'm just this soldier he uh you know we're in basic training comes to me it's like first week and um he says hey drill sergeant well he does not say hey drill sergeant he's like excuse me drill sergeant can i talk to you and so you know i'm very nonchalant and very flippant it's like hey private what the explicative do you want and he's like drill sergeant i can't make it here I was like, what the hell? And he's like, I, I, I just can't do this. I'm like, all right, you private. Listen, I don't have the time to do the paperwork to get you up out of my army. So you come back next week. All right, you understand that you private? So goes through, you know, next week comes. I I, I can't do this, Joe son. I was like, listen, and I called him more explicatives. And, you know, me and him do this song and dance you know, our basic training in AIT was combined. So it was 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. So we and me and him do this song and dance for about a good nine or 10 weeks. And then I finally tell him, and it's like we're in a hall. They're not in a hall, we're in a we're in a big area. Mm-hmm. And he comes up to me, he's like, feel sorry, this is this is I'm quitting. I'm quitting. So then I grab him. I'm like, listen here, you private. And I explain to him, like, listen, you've done this, you've done that, you know, your scores are fine you're better than you're just as good or better than anybody else here so why do you want to quit and then it, it kind of clicked into him he's like so then you know when you were able to build someone like that
2: mm-hmm. he doesn't
1: have that self-esteem that impacts you because it's like hey i was able to you know i wanted him to be successful yeah then, no i'm not going to let you quit if uh, you can shoot you can you're physically fit you know you can problem solve whenever you're a team leader you're leading. You're telling people how to do, you're getting things done. And a lot of times people, I think we as human beings are doing a lot of positive things. However, unless there's someone to tell you how far you've came, because it's like, listen, private, you couldn't even do 10 pushups. Now you're doing 52. What do you want from me, guy? So then, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, and I grabbed him. It's like, listen, private, you're going, you're, you're going to graduate, right? And then he looked at me and he laughed and he had this big old smile on his face. Because he knew I was not being tyrannical, but it was from a actual point of respect because I knew that he could do this. Yeah. He didn't know it. But at that point, so anyway, <laughs> my Sergeant Major, <laughs> my, the, the Sergeant Major, who's in charge of the battalion, is watching me grab this private <laughs> So after I let the private go, our Sergeant Major, was a, he's a African-American, like 6'2", wasn't one for words. He has his big old finger. (laughs) (laughs) And then he called me in his office and then I explained to him like what had happened. And he understood, you know, that sometimes people need different types of reinforcement. And I wasn't one for yelling and screaming. I was a person of action, but you know, that stuck with me because, you know, you don't know who needs to, who needs that little nudge to get, to get through. And, you know, if I would have let him quit, he would have quit. But he wasn't. I, there are folks that I wanted to quit that were just terrible human beings and they were <laughs> hanging on. I'm like, why don't you quit?
0: Why don't you give up. <laughs> I'll be but happy I, to do that paperwork.
1: Yeah, I'd be let happy start to start it. <laughs> yeah, but with this kid, you know, he just didn't have the self esteem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, listen, dude, I, at the end, it's like, listen, I'm tired of talking to you, man. Yeah. You got this. What, what are you worried about? you you know, so then, but that's, to answer your question, that's, uh, that's what stuck with me, that guy. Um,
0: before we get into sort of your post-service uh, career and your transition into the civilian world, uh, you know, I want to touch on the fact that, you know, you come from a, a line of, of strong, proud uh, African-Americans who served in the military. Mm-hmm. And does that legacy, you know, that, does that mean something to you? Uh, you know, it's, you know, we know that less than one half of 1% of the American population serves in the military. Obviously, much less than that, uh, people of color serve in the military. Uh, does that Did that give you a sense of pride?
1: I would say um, people in the military and people outside of service looked at me like a Black soldier. Hmm. But I consider myself a soldier that just happens to be Black.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you you understand what I'm saying, like people see mm-hmm. color a lot, but I don't get me wrong, I've experienced racism, I've experienced all sorts of craziness. however, um, I served my country, you know, is that a negative? you know i I you know whenever they say, hey, we need someone to leave their family, miss out on a whole bunch of holidays and do this, you know, I did it. You know, there's nothing. There's, there's 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 not a negative you can say in that. So you know, is there a legacy? I at this point I can't really worry about what other people's opinions are. I have to worry about what I've done, what I can live with, what I can sleep. Can I sleep at night? You understand what I'm saying? So that I hope that I answered that question.
0: Well i'm thinking more along the lines of uh like we had on for one of our vbc events the first uh Air Force officer commissioned by eisenhower um, oh, wow. she, she yeah she was uh, commissioned by him she was she was the first black female to be commissioned into the air Force and a, a trailblazer mm-hmm. you know uh talking with her about what did it mean to you to to be a to to be a part of that legacy of service. And obviously, there's a a pride in in serving. um, But she's in a very unique position, being the first black woman who was who was commissioned as an officer in the Air Force. And it makes me think, you know, having your mother serve your father serve, um, you know, continuing on with that sort of legacy in your family of service and, you know, uh, you know, a a pride that comes along with uh, with that.
1: of course of course i'm proud of my service Mm -hmm. i just it's just and and this is why i have to keep it for me what i've done because you know at one point in america to say you served in the military was like oh man you know you've done so many great things and at this point people don't understand those sacrifices yeah they they, and, and, and so it's not that I'm not proud of what I do. I just try to make sure that that's not the thing that defines me the most. Ah, okay. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah. because I've met a lot of people um, who left the military and it's like, that was their most, you know, that was the best times of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know? And don't get me wrong. Oh my goodness. I love deploying not all deployments are bad. You know, just doing stuff, um, well, any deployment where no one, well, you can't even say that anymore, but in any instance, uh, you, you know, I didn't want the military to be the thing to define me
2: mm-hmm.
1: as, as a person. I didn't I didn't want my service to be the only thing I can look back on and and, and say this was great. You know, and I, I feel that happens to a lot of people. I, I just look at things. If you're great, if you're a good communicator, you're going to be able to communicate um, and on the playground, you're going to be able to communicate in front of Congress. You know, if you're a good human being, you're going to be a good human being in the military, outside. So then I love the fact that I was able to serve. I love what the military has done for me, but I didn't want it to be the defining part of my life um, because I see it's, some of folks. Go ahead. They're, they're not able to shift. They're <laughs> not able to, it's like, you know, when I was a drill sergeant, I used to do this and do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you ask me about it, I'll tell you. But it's like not the first thing off the, out of my mouth is I did this and I did that. That's just that's just how I am.
0: Which we had talked about previously before the recording, talking about communication. That was something that sort of helped to de- you developed because uh, mm-hmm. you said at the beginning of your your service you weren't necessarily the best communicator, but mm-hmm. coming out of service, it's something that you had really created a, a skill set for, and yes. that helped you in this in this transition time back to the civilian world. Yes, and so what did you what did you decide to do at, after you got out of you were in 23 years, so to, to transition back to the civilian world probably was its own culture shock.
1: Yes, it was absolutely. So then um, I think uh, it was about the time, and I'm being transparent. So then at 20 years, or I think it was it 20 years, 18 or 19 years, somewhere. So then the average. I was a sergeant first class. So you make E8 between 12 and like 12 and like 18 years, somewhere in between there. Um, if you've checked all the blocks that they say, hey, listen, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, so then I looked at it and it's like, well, hey, I haven't gotten promoted yet. And I'm looking at what's getting promoted, you know, the skill sets that they, that the, the military was really focusing on. To be that next level of leadership, um I missed, or maybe uh I, you know, I didn't have, because if I had them, I would have gotten promoted. So then my point being at that point, it's like, okay, all right, I need to prepare myself to leave. <laughs> so then I said, All right, um I start taking college classes. I figured out what I wanted to do when I left the military. You know, I I I wanted to, <laughs> I, I wanted to be a motivational speaker when I left the military. Um, so then I started taking classes on organizational leadership. That's when I got my master's in. Uh, I went to Toastmasters. I became a distinguished Toastmasters. I started uh, integrating myself in the places that would allow me to, you know, learn those skills uh, so that I'd be more effective, so that I'd be more marketable, so that I could bring more value to wherever I went to. So that's how I prepared myself for transition. Uh, as I said before, excuse me, there's a lot of uh I've met a lot of friends that have transitioned and you know, it's like uh oh uh, well, you know, they're gonna hire me because hey, I'm a hero and I've done this. Well, you know, folks aren't really looking at heroes anymore. Not mm-hmm. like they once were. You know, they're not really, you know, and 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 to be and furthermore, what I found is I'm on this side, you know, they have concerns about hiring veterans. It's like, what do you mean? Oh, you know they got they got those problems from being deployed. It's mm-hmm. like what do you mean by that? What were you saying? Well, you know, you we, we don't want them going off. It's like so. Then this is kind of the narrative that people are talking about on the outside. And it wasn't until I left the military, and like I said, I'm not one to to, to boast about my experiences. So people will talk freely with me. It's like, oh yeah, that, that that is like really. That's what you think. That's how you feel about the soldiers. Oh, okay. So um, I prepared myself, uh, and it was a transition. Um, I think that the most difficult transition for me is like a lot of times senior leaders, you turn in your cell phone and turning in your cell phone means that you're separating yourself from the military. It's like no one's going to call because they need you to do A, B, C, and D. And it's a blessing like, hey, but no one's calling anymore. So for a lot of us, our value was tied to our position, to our rank to uh to the things we were doing within the military that's where some people's value was and, and, and it, it was mine because hey it's a significant shift that you know on monday they're calling me to find out about a b c and d and on tuesday no one even checks on you you know it's like wow this is because when you leave you know you leave that's it everyone knows that you're not going to be there for your entire life so mm-hmm. that's that, those are some of the things that i did the transition I, I realized i was leaving and I had to have some skills because you can't in the in, in the branch of service I was in, cursing was like, okay, cool, whatever. I mean, four-letter word every now, every you know, every other letter is like, all right, cool. You know, no one cares. Mm-hmm. But you can't come into an, <laughs> an interview, explicit of this, explicit of that. And by the way, explicit of that mother blank blank blank. You know, so <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to learn your, you have to learn a different skill set so yeah
0: not as many soldiers or servicemen and women probably were as proactive then as as you were certainly okay. to to create that skill set to have that understanding that drive to say i'm going to set myself up for this next chapter
1: well there's there's a reason behind that so then um the warrior transition battalion so then And that's one of the so the Warrior Transition Battalion is is a place they needed leaders. My 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 my, uh, leadership sent me over there, and I was a platoon sergeant there. And the purpose of the transition battalion was for for injured and wounded soldiers who are coming out who are injured and wounded, specifically around you know global war and terrorism. Mm -hmm. They had a place to transition, and the soldiers would come there, and we were part of their part of their uh their health plan and we monitor them to see you know hey how are they doing uh if if they're not going to be able to recover from this we help them transition we you know what, what do you think you want to do when you get out oh you want to go to this school so we're we're doing things like helping them prepare for interviews helping them you know plan their next career if they are taking medications helping them with the medications to say okay listen this is a medication you're taking. Uh, are you sure you're going to be able to be A, B, C, and D? I mean, we were, mm-hmm. we were like uh, caregivers, uh, but on such a level that I'm still a leader. So I'm a, I'm an E7 and I'm in charge. I mean, one of my leaders, one of the people I was in charge of was a full bird colonel. And I had to call him like, listen, hey, sir, where are you at today? Because you had to check on these folks on this demographic because they were actually doing things to themselves and you had to make sure that this person was okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, I've been to several funerals from persons who, who were not able to make it through and it wasn't because of something that someone else did. Mm-hmm. So your deal, this is a this this is a real world. These are real wars these are real people. So I watched how some of the things they went through and I was like, okay, all right. If if I'm if I'm helping these soldiers transition, I better find a plan for myself also. So then, I mean, that was actually I think my my leadership sent me there. I wouldn't say they didn't like me, but at the same time there was no love there, but it did more good and I was able to do more good than I thought I was going to be able to do.
0: You very much strike me as a person that that makes lemonade out of lemons. Like if I'm going to be given this, I'm going to I'm going to find the best way to do it. I'm going to I'm going to do it the best way I can. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's where maybe that's where burning dookie comes in it's like, even if you're given that even if you're given the duty so of then, burning the dookie
1: okay and i know and I, I wanted something um this is a, is a, a burst lesson learned and <laughs> <laughs> so then in desert storm uh you know before there was uh, Kellogg Brown and Root, before there was a lot of things. Whenever you deploy somewhere, you have to you have to create your own shelters and you have to create your own latrines. So, uh, <laughs> as part of that, you know they you you have folks that would build the structures, and they would have these five gallon jug five gallon cans um, that were cut in half, and they would be up under the the, uh, la- the latrines. And people would have to pull them out um, once they got full, and then they have to burn the Dookie. So then a good example of this is from the movie, wow, what is Jarhead? That? Yep, Jarhead. And uh, I remember I remember the main character asked the colonel, he's like, hey, sir, he's like, uh, can you give, give me a moment? He's like, nope. And <laughs> the 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 colonel, the guy, the, the guy is actually from the um, show Navy Seals, I forgot his name. Was it Navy Shields or the unit? One of those. Right. Anyway, so in order to, to make sure things go right, you have to pull <laughs> those five-gallon cans out, and it's a diesel-mogas mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you pour one part diesel, two ga- two part-mogas, and mogas is just like gasoline. Mm-hmm. And then you set it up, and you have to burn that dookie, you know, these, you, this human waste full of everything, and uh you also you have to stir it because it, you just can't so you have to burn a dookie and stir it and i remember when i was, I was a private and this is during desert storm and this is doing, this is like while we're deployed and as long as you're not really burning dookie in life you know life really isn't that bad with the exception of getting shot at there is there's I mean, getting yeah. shot at but it, i mean i remember as i'm as i'm burning this human waste and the wind is blowing all of the diesel and all that into my clothes. Uh, <laughs> my squad leader who had put me on a detail and he wasn't being mean. It was just like it had to get done. Yeah. You know, somebody got to burn it. Right. You know, It's not going to burn itself. And right. He's the leader. He's not going to burn it. So uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, it kind of makes you contemplate because at that time, let me see. Uh, I joined at 17, 17. I was around 19 or 20 years old uh, in, in my first war and uh it was it was it it kind of makes you reflect on life it's like man you know people my age are out enjoying themselves partying uh you know when you're deployed you just think about really weird things like going to the store and getting a hot dog or going you know <laughs> yeah or, you know just just going to the mall and getting a pair of shoes because that's not happening so as I as I burnt the dookie in my squad leader, he looked at me. He was a Korean guy and he had a really thick accent. He said, Borsh, it's like I feel sorry for you, Bursch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, sergeant. Yes, sergeant. But hey, I did what I had to do. And that wasn't the first time, and nor was that the well, that was the first time, but it wasn't the last time. But yeah. it just keeps you thing keeps things in perspective.
0: As you look back at that young Ahmed. There burning the dookie. <laughs> what 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 advice would you give him?
1: I would say do more. Do uh I would tell him to go for broke. Um, that's what I would tell him. I would say, hey, listen, and and in my opinion, I, I, I got a lot out of the military. I'm telling you, if I could tell you some of the stories about things, and I'm gonna say so then, let, let's get this straight in the military. Like, whenever I want to learn how to jump out of planes and be a parachutist, that's something I wanted to do. However, the only reason I did it is because the military needed folks to jump out of planes. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know it was a symbiotic you know relationship, and that's those are the kind of things you gotta keep keep in mind. Everything that I wanted to do, other people didn't want to do. Like when I wanted to be a drill sergeant, folks, you no, know, you gotta you gotta work hours, you gotta do this, you actually have to work. <laughs> whereas <laughs> folks were trying to I think one of the big things I've seen about people is they're trying to skirt, skirt out of doing their job you got to work anyway so just go ahead and do it so then I would tell him go for broke do more push yourself further uh, embrace it all uh, don't 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 fear you're not going to die uh, mm-hmm. so then that's, that's what I tell the, bookie, the, the, the the dookie burn in me uh, but I wouldn't I mean, even with, because then this is a funny thing. I When I enlisted in the military initially, I went in two, they had two year contracts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was two years, 26 months. So then upon my return from Desert Storm, and remember I joined in 89, Desert Storm was like in 91 and 92. It was shortly in my own re-enlistment window. So I had the option of just leaving the military. But even with that, I was like, hey, I'm not done yet. You know, I, there's other stuff I want to do. So then, you know, I stayed. But I I think, you know, burning Dookie is a job. It's not, it's a job, it's not the job. It's not, you know, it's a part of it. So it's, it's, and I think that me being able to allow things to roll off. Now, in the midst of it, smelling all that, that's a different story. But after it's all said and done and, you know, I can wash my hands and take a shower and wash my face, you know, it's like, oh, this is cool.
0: (laughs) Uh, So lead us into where you are now, you know, You've talked about sort of the development of interpersonal skills, becoming an engineer coach, working with the Army Corps of Engineers. How how has all of this come together into creating this sort of new passion in your life?
1: So then uh, when I left the military, I had the opportunity to take a job, um, which basically it's it was HR, basically, um, with the United States Army Corps of Engineers. So well, hold on, let me let me roll it back. So then I leave the military. I became a teacher, excuse me, an adjunct instructor at a local college, Millermont College. I was um, IT career development. Um, And these things kind of always play into each other. So within career development, you're talking about how to help people with resumes, how to help people with goal setting, help people with, you know, basic life skills to make them successful. And this is, as a matter of fact, it was just really interesting. I was there and it's like, hey, we need someone to teach this. It's like, I looked at the curriculum. I was like, yeah, I'll teach it. It's like, okay. And, and that, was the, that was the deal. It was like, I got hired on as an IT instructor. Once again, the Army had paid me to, to learn information technology. It was one of the transition programs. So then uh, I come on, I work in career development. Uh, after a little bit, almost two years, I decided I wanted to you know try for a federal job and i got hired on with the army corps of engineers now people are under the impression that the u.s army corps of engineers are a component of the u.s army they're a civilian component but you don't have to enlist into service to become a member of the u.s army corps of engineers it's a federal job uh i don't know how the structure got started but the leadership is military officer led Uh, however all of the positions from the you know the, the uh the engineers, the district deputies, all of those folks, well, not the district deputies, but all, all those folks are civilian persons. So you don't have to be a member of the Army to become a member of the Army Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. So then while I was there, uh, working in HR, I'm helping people uh, develop interpersonal skills, supervisory skills, a lot. Uh, there's a lot that goes into, uh, like, for, for instance, um, PMP and PMP certifications and practical engineer certifications. These are technical, very technical things. However, that the needed um, human relations portion, like supervisors learning how to lead, things of that nature, mm-hmm. aren't really involved. So I began training because of my uh, job. I was training and as interacting, and I, and I realized there were some shortcomings that folks had but there really weren't that many programs to kind of get them to that next level because you would have i mean i'm talking to very senior people i'm saying very senior people who had no idea how to develop employees or you know were aware of programs and i'm like okay all right there's there's a niche here uh, someone needs to tell folks how to do things and it's and there's you know they have their own sets of pressures their own sets of time constraints you know mm-hmm. anxiety about their performance And so I realized there's an opportunity here for me to, uh, you know, come in, help people that wanted help, who wanted, you know, everyone needs a coach. It it doesn't matter, either a coach or a mentor, but you need someone to tell you what your shortcomings are and kind of look at things from a different perspective to help you grow. So then that's kind of how I'm, where I'm at right now as a career coach.
0: So uh, how can people you know, I guess, hire you or or bring you on, you know, bring you in to to help with these uh, sort of skill building uh, sessions?
1: Well, I'm on LinkedIn. uh, I'm at Burst. Uh, You can look me up and you can see me there. And you can also reach me at my email at ahmad A-H-M-A-D, at BurstConsulting.com.
0: So when you built Burst Consulting, Mm -hmm. was that sort of the, uh, how did it feel to finally get that like off the ground?
1: I'll tell you when it, when I'm completed,
0: <laughs> but, but I, I would say, I think
1: it's official. It's official to me, but I, I think I've always, I've had opportunities to help and develop people. However, I've never helped and developed someone based off on me doing it for me. I want to bring value to people, but not bring value to people through an organization, but through my organization. You know, as they say, if you're not living someone else's, if you're not living your dream, then you're, you're living someone else's dream. You, you literally are. And people may not get it, but you, you actually are. And although, those, although what they're asking from you is in alignment with what you want, you know, if you have more to give or there's more value that you'd like to bring, it's like I can help develop people when I was at the Corps of Engineers, but the way in which I can help develop them now, I can get a little bit more personal. I can dig down a little bit more because uh, where I was at before, I was constrained by the position. It's like, hey, listen, you can talk to them about this, but you 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 don't want to talk to them about that. So, or you know, because of the position, but as as a coach, you know, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the full scope mm-hmm. and saying, okay, all right, here have you considered doing A, B, C, and D? Uh, and if not, let's start working on on that.
0: Because you were sort of a, a, more of a go-getter in that transition into the civilian world, what type of uh, advice would you have for any transitioning soldiers that that are coming out, that, you know, trying to find their way? I'm noticing a lot, especially in the last several episodes of this, but we've been talking a lot about transitioning out of the military, ways that uh, the programs that are there to help uh, the men and women coming out to find work, figure out how to do interviews, you know, get their resumes together, things like that, just sort of like basic building blocks of like, here, here's how you enter the workforce. Um, But things like what you're talking about of like, I built a skill and I found a need and now I'm going to build a, you know, a business based off of what I can provide. Mm -hmm. That seems to me at a totally different level.
1: Well, um, so then let's, let's take it back. I, I retired from the army in 2012. Uh, so, but in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted my own business. I wanted, uh, not to be cliche, but I don't wanna have to ask someone when I'm going on leave. You understand? I don't wanna have to ask. I wanna be able to set my schedule and say, okay, this is what I'm taking off. Uh, if I'm meeting a client and it's at, you know, two in the afternoon on a Wednesday, and I can meet that client at two in the afternoon on a Wednesday. I don't have to, you know, this is this is my thought process here. Yeah. So then it's taken, I don't I think it's taken me some time to kind of verify to validate what direction I want to move in. But in regard to transitioning, um, I would highly recommend a lot of folks that transition are able to take, you know, they have leave. And they'll take leave for like you know ninety days or something. I would highly recommend they take those ninety days and take leave and just do them because uh, one of the things I realized about the military is uh, those are the, you know like uh, if you if you're a square right okay and your your personality is a square. However, the military is a circle, they're going to cut those rough corners off to make you, to make you fit inside of it. That's not a negative. That's not a negative at all. Because the army tells you how to be successful. If you do A, B, C, and D, hey, that's fine. But for a lot, for some folks, that might not be their natural personality. That might not be who they are. So if you've been this person that's not necessarily a bad person, but you've been doing this thing for so long. Uh, And the only time the true you, the authentic you, not that that's a negative, shows up is, you know, whenever you're off barbecuing or whatever, you're doing something fun that allows you to be who you are. If the only time it shows up is the limited, then you may not realize who you are. You know, you've lost yourself. Because to be effective in the military, that's just like those skills, some of those skills are there, but they're not natural. So whenever you leave the military, you need to figure out who you are. Um, you to figure out exactly who you are. What kind of I mean, and it's not a bad thing, you know. Uh, for me, I'm really silly, fun-loving. That's that's who I am. However, in the military, especially the drill sergeant, silly and fun-loving, loving and getting the job done. Silly and fun-loving is not going to develop. It's not going to help people. They yeah. need someone who's going to be structured and there to help get them through these situations.
2: Mm-hmm. So then,
1: uh, I'd say anyone transitioning you know, do as much research, find out what you want to do, but take the time to just kind of decompress and let it out. Because anyone who spent any amount of time in the military has some kind of trauma. I'm not being funny. I'm just letting you know. Any, any, the fact that you're sitting here talking to people who've been in the military, you have trauma. (laughs) I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being funny. It's vicarious trauma. It's because, hey, listen, uh, that Dookie story I told you, Two or three years or two or three months down the road, you're going to be you're going to see something or you're going to be like, hey, listen, that made me think about the Dookie story. Something, you know what I'm saying, yeah. that, that's going to stick in your mind. Mm-hmm. So people say things that have occurred in their lives. So anybody who's been in the military is going to have trauma. And for you to say, oh, no, I don't. But the thing about the military is you don't really face or I didn't face my trauma, any of it, because I was gone. I was deploying. I was a drill sergeant. I was helping this. I was burning Dookie. I was doing all these other things um, that didn't make me face them. So when I transitioned out of the military, uh, I took some time, and that trauma comes back to visit you. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the beginning, it's like, "Hey, you remember me? I bet you didn't think about me. Well, now that you're home alone and you know you're eating sandwiches and scratching, watching TV, uh, hey, I'm coming. I'm here to visit you." So then I would, I would say, you know. Take that time transition and as your transition you know pick something that you like and then become it if that's what you really like Mm -hmm. you know uh i like 007 i'm not going to be no spy but i like the way he dresses and i like the way he carries himself the Mm -hmm. character hey you can you can you can do that you know there's nothing you know there's nothing to say you can't if you want to be a chef Watch the chef shows. You know, what did, what did that chef do to get to where they're at? You know, what schools have they gone to? What experiences they have? Read a biography. You know, those things, you know, find out exactly what piques your interest. Begin pursuing it. But take that time to decompress. Because if you don't, it's going to come back to you crazy.
0: Ah, oh, Matt. I can't think of a better way to sort of wrap up the conversation here. I feel like I, I I owe you for your hour. I feel like I, I feel like I've been consulted. I've, <laughs> I've been coached. I I feel great. This is uh, this has been an awesome conversation, and I hope that our audience feels the same way. Uh, and if they're looking for someone uh, to for a consultant, uh, I hope that we can connect you with them.
1: Uh, absolutely. Or you know, and and as a, it's funny as you know, and if you're a veteran. And you're wondering where you're at just you know not even an engineer just if you you know it's just you need them conversations because i think for most vets they just miss i miss soldiers i miss the you know people don't understand the thing that keeps a lot of militaries young are its soldiers coming in so they come in they understand technology they understand different things i was watching a TikTok. <laughs> I was watching a TikTok and the soldier was making this noise and the two soldiers were communicating like that, like, silly, stupid. And then the NCO comes and say, Hey, both y'all shut the F up. Y'all stop. Y'all stop that. (laughs) So then uh, it was, you know, but that's what they do. That, that kind of reminds me of another story. And I don't want to eat up your time, but uh, so we're, My partner's team, he's a platoon sergeant, and he has a squad leader, and the squad leader loves Star Trek, Hmm. so you communicate on the radio a lot, Hmm. Uh, so then the squad leader, and this is, you know, like 10, this is like 20 years ago, so the squad leader loves Star Trek, he likes Klingons, so he teaches his squad how to speak Klingon, (laughs) so they're speaking Klingon over the net, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the speaking of, there's nothing wrong with that, but the uh, platoon sergeant comes down to their freak, like, hey, sorry, so, hey, you know, whatever their name is, you know, X ray one, come see me. Stop effing, cling <laughs> on on the net. But it's like stuff like that. Yeah. That, you know, it keeps you alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you come down and you're listening to, and you know it's like what 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 so <laughs> it's just the military it's just, you know little craziness like that so
0: oh man yeah you know, I feel like we barely scratched the surface on all the stories that you probably have Ahmed. um just great stuff uh <clears throat> seriously and I and I want to thank you for for your time for for your stories for your honesty. Um, you you know, just hearing this today. It's uh it's been very uplifting and inspirational. Just a really great conversation. I hope that our audience can reach out to you. We'll put your contact information here in the description if you're looking for a consultant, if you're in the Army Corps of Engineers, if you know if you're looking for somebody to talk to, Ahmed's here. Um Ahmed, what is the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Uh hold on one second. You can uh that email a burst or, or excuse me, Ahmed at Mm-hmm. Okay. And my phone number for that business is 301 659 7899. And that's, you know, anyone anybody
0: those... nationwide can contact with you?
1: Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Or or you can you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm the only Ahmad verse on LinkedIn and you there'll be a picture of me and I'm like, ah, it's me. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: well i am i i I wish you nothing but the best of luck in the consulting business uh you know it it again it's been a pleasure and an honor um to our audience please like share subscribe ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes and if and if you'd like to reach out to me with any thoughts about this episode or ideas about future upcoming episodes, you can do so at sean s h a u n at veteransbreakfastclub.org. dot org Ah'mad thank you again for your time today thank you. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco Free Adagio health uh tobacco free adagio health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now we've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them they are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke they're all about health so they want people to quit Uh, they have classes nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line 1-800 quit now they also educate people children especially about tobacco use from cigarettes Cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations, so I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health, for your support.